Welcome to Connected, a podcast with Jess. That's me. Connections are the secret to a whole life. Recognizing the connections between us and within us, mind, body, and soul, reveals the fullest potential of our humanity. Join me as I discover what connects us to each other and to ourselves. Your mind, body, and soul were not meant to live disconnected from each other. Putting all the beautiful parts of you into one breathtakingly whole experience is what you deserve. As a life coach, I work to support your story. Together, we can set free the story of you. I bring guests onto my show so that you can hear powerful stories of other women all across the world. I want you to see how profoundly important living and telling stories is. I understand what it feels like to live under expectations and programming that are not aligned with who you are. I learned to write my own story in my year of Jess, and I want to guide you as you write the story of you. Your beauty, power, and value are already in there, in you. It's time. Time to take your pen back and write the story of you. It begins today. Go to my website, jessicatravis.com backslash free journal guide. I've created a five-day journal guide free to you. Five days, five emails, one new story of you. After subscribing, I'm going to send you an email with a link to my private Facebook group called Get Connected. I'm creating a community for you to embrace and fall in love with the story of you. Okay, so today I have um, Bree Richards with me, and I'm I'm really excited about this conversation. I think we have some really uh, fun things to talk about, but I also think um, she might just outthink me on some of these. So <laughs> I'm really yeah. I'm really anxious to uh, to have this conversation. Um, I'm going to let Brie introduce herself here in just a second, but I wanted to kind of share how um, how I know her. Um, her original I think we met Jeremy first your husband and we um uh gosh when we first started doing youth ministry in um McCall Idaho um Jeremy was in our youth group at the time and so that really like ages me all of a sudden really really bad (laughs) um but Jeremy's family has been like our surrogate family for a very long time. Um, my girls don't really know life without them. And, um, so when he met you, um, you lived in McCall as well. And, um, so we just got to be part of the whole journey of you guys meeting and dating and eventually getting married. So we'll, we'll dive into more of your personal life, but that's how we know each other. We go way back. Um, so Brie, Tell me who you are. Oh, yeah. 
Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here and honored to. So I am an, I'm from Idaho, like you said, an Idaho native, Uh, grew up there. And at about age 18, I left Idaho and moved to Oregon. And except for about a three-year hiatus in Durham, North Carolina, I've lived in Oregon since then. So I really consider Oregon home now. Um, Love the outdoors. I love being out in nature and the mountains and the lakes and all the beauty that this state has to offer. Um, But I would also say that I am deeply committed to my own intersectional equity journey. And I'm someone who um, is really, really passionate and interested in learning about the history of Oregon. So although I love this state, um, there's also some really challenging things about how this state was founded that I've had to contend with. Mm. And I I do call it home um, as much as you can call any property home. We don't own the land, but um, I do consider this to be my home now and all of its challenges and all of its beauty. And um, yeah, I also just like personally, I love good food. I love Mm. coffee. And um, I love your on your podcast when you share your cocktail recipes, because (laughs) I also love cocktails and beer. Um, And yeah, I just like to have fun and be with people and um, think about the important questions of life. So one of the one of the things that I, um, I find really interesting about you, Brie, um, because we we do share something in common, at least um, a, a role that we have been in that um, I no longer hold, but um, you have approached this role very differently than I did. And it's something that I uh, have met immense admiration and respect for. Um, and that is that your husband is a pastor in Portland. And, um, and being in that journey alongside him is... Uh, I, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch you and Jeremy as, as you journey through this. Um, it's not always an easy role for women to be a part of when their husbands are pastors. Um, I know for me, um, it gave me many beautiful relationships, but it also gave me, um, a lot of maybe pressure as a mom and as a wife and what that looks like uh, uh, feels like to the people that we served. Um, and I have just really, um, enjoyed watching you and Jeremy, um, do this together in the way that you do. It's very different than I did. And, um, I feel like I wish I could have learned from you, um, (laughs) hindsight, you know, like I wish I could like switch it around and have learned from you, but, um, I think you're incredibly, authentic and true to yourself in the midst of that type of a role. Um, Many women don't uh, either don't choose to do that or don't always have the luxury of that. Um, And I just think that's a really beautiful thing to watch. So your primary role isn't to be a pastor's wife. You actually have a lot of um, 
things that you're just personally interested in, but you have a really beautiful job that I'm actually really excited to hear about because it's a bit of a new job for you. And um, so would you share about that? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I just have to say first off that the church where my husband is pastoring is a very, very special community of people. I could tell from the beginning when I stepped into my role, um, just as the quote unquote pastor's wife, that really nothing was expected of me more than just being committed to that community and showing up and loving people and uh, being part of people's lives. There wasn't like, oh, you're going to have to do the choir. You're going to have to do the children's Mm -hmm. church. Or there's really haven't been a lot of those expectations placed on me. And I think that is really unique and really really grateful to Grant Park for that. Um, And we visited your church and I I told Jeremy, I said, if we ever moved to Portland, I said that um, your church is where I want to be. Like, it's just, you're (laughs) right. They are, they're a beautiful um, group of people. But I think that the perspective that Jeremy specifically takes in, in how he, how he teaches and how he serves his congregation is, um, it's just beautiful. It's very, um, very open to the community and yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So yeah, I would agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And he's been really also protective of my time as well. Hmm. Like when we started this journey together, I made it pretty clear from the beginning, I was going to have my own career and I had goals and things I wanted Hmm. to pursue in my life. And, um, of course, I would support him in his goals, but I needed the same from him. So yeah. there was always that expectation from the beginning that I wasn't, that wasn't just going to be what my life was about. Not that that's bad. Some people do love that and that's what they choose. But for me, I just knew that I needed um, a professional career for myself. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. what was, what were some of those things that you, you do dreamt about for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> so I always knew early on that it was not going to work for me to be in sort of the corporate world, if you would Uh want to call it that. Um, Just kind of a job that gets you money, that's a collected paycheck and then go home. Um, I'm really driven by mission Mm -hmm. (laughs) and by purpose and by transforming the world Mm. um, for good. And so when I started in undergrad at Concordia University here in Portland, which is now since closed, which is really sad, but yeah. um, once I started in undergrad there, I just knew in my heart, I was like, I'm, I'm going to end up in the nonprofit field mm-hmm. in one way or another, I'm going to end up in the nonprofit. And I thought that that would be in grant writing because I love writing. I have a background mm-hmm. in writing. I was an English major. And although I have done that work, that that's ultimately not where I have landed now. What I have realized, and you and I also share this in common, is that as an Enneagram 6, <laughs> which we can talk more about, yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with the Enneagram, um, but as an Enneagram 6, and especially a 6 wing 5, I really like things to be like, like very clear, uh-huh. systematic, um, follow a process and be functional to the best of their ability so that people can then be empowered to do the good work that they need to do. Uh, the systems kind of underpin everything. Oh, and you're I've so realized... speaking my language. 
yes. I, I don't, I don't know about you, but I like when, when I get tasked with creating a system for an end result, it's like, I can be giddy in it. Yes. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it gives me life. And Casey yes. with that and it's like he sinks into his little nine hole and <laughs> and he's like get me away from this <laughs> it's so true just a couple months ago I actually said to Jeremy I was like I just really think I have a heart for operations and he was like what do you mean how can you have a heart for operations is that even a thing <laughs> it's it's a thing. And whenever it's you need totally to talk, yeah. And whenever we just need to talk about it, you can call me. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. I love it. Yes. Um, but I think the really cool thing about the Enneagram six is that we're also, especially the counterphobic six, we're uh-huh. really motivated to change things. Like yes, we see the systems, we see where they're broken mm-hmm. and we want to fix it. And yeah. we know we can. We know we can. I, I joke with my family when the zombie apocalypse happens, I'm your girl. Yes. We're going to fix this. Um, yes. No, I'm totally a five wing counterphobic six. Like yes. all, I'm so like tracking with you right now. And uh, I know we've sent some texts back and forth to each other and we're like, oh my gosh, you so get me. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. It really it is. And your yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, just how it manifests in people's lives. Um, but all that is to say, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I landed in operations for a really, really beautiful mission-driven nonprofit um, that actually has two chapters. One of them is here in Portland, but the national headquarters is in Las Vegas, Nevada. So mm, okay. where I work is called the Cupcake Girls, and we provide resources holistic care, intensive case management, and resource referral for survivors of sex trafficking and for sex workers. So the work that we do is really centered around the clients. And when they come to us, we empower them to be the creators of their own solutions. So we have no agenda. We don't say, this is our program. This is what you're going to have to do to work with us. We just say, what do you need? these clients have oftentimes experienced a lot of disempowerment in their life and a lot of really, really deep trauma. And so just giving them back that power is the first step towards healing. Mm. Um, And so we don't, yeah, we don't approach the relationship with any sort of agenda or um, any end goal in mind. It's really about what the client needs. Um, And and that is to also say that we 100% support sex workers staying in sex work if that's where they want to be and if that's what is working for them. So um, we don't have any agenda to push people out of the sex industry if they are wanting to so stay. So how, how would somebody find you? What, how do they know that they um, need to be supported in some capacity by what you guys do? Yeah, so we have a really kind of cool outreach program, which is where we get our name, the Cupcake Girls. Okay. The, the whole thing, the whole organization was founded by this incredibly tenacious woman, Joy Hoover, who I think you should have on this podcast. Um, who, okay. Yeah. <laughs> who just went to Vegas on vacation with her husband mm. in 2009 and saw a significant need. 
um, in Las Vegas. And she just saw that these folks in the sex industry, specifically women at that time, most identified as women, um, couldn't access resources that were safe for them. So there was one person that she met just like in a casino who couldn't find a dentist mm -hmm. who felt safe to go to. So Joy committed to finding a dentist who would be safe for that woman to go to. And she did. And that's how the Cupcake Girls was born. And then the outreach started in the clubs, in the strip clubs and at um, adult entertainment in, uh, conventions and things with cupcakes. <laughs> so that's, that's why we're called the wow. Cupcake Girls. So volunteers would just come together, bake a bunch of cupcakes and use that as the initial outreach um, to just say, hey, we're here. If you need anything, we're here and we want you to come to us and talk to us and we'll find safe resources for you um, and we'll work with you. And it, it grew beyond that, uh, beyond just the connecting folks with other resources in the community. Now we have an internal intensive case management program where clients can meet with advocates, volunteer advocates. It's all volunteer run. It's incredible. Um, and they can set SMART goals for themselves and have measurable goals that they're working towards and, and are welcome to stay engaged with us for as long as they need. So what types of resources do you guys um, provide or, or get them connected to? Is this, like you mentioned, finding a safe dentist? Is this also helping them childcare, you know, like all kinds of types of life things? Oh my gosh, yes. So many, like over 500 community partners at this point. Grant wow. Park Church is a community partner. So <laughs> it's been like, I guess so you would say vetted as a safe church for sex workers to come. Gotcha. Um, but legal services is a big one. Tax prep services, massage therapy, Reiki, um, dentists and doctors, of course, and banks. Uh, one barrier that I didn't even know about before starting to work with the Cupcake Girls is that it's really, really hard for sex workers to get a bank because a lot of times that all of their income is in cash and banks are uncomfortable with that. And there's all these barriers around like federal rules with making income, like having your income be from sex work. And so finding a bank that will work with sex workers was a challenge, but there are some really great ones. And um, we've been able to connect clients with those at this point. And, but yeah, it's really anything. And if we don't have a partner for a resource that a client is requesting, then we will find one. Yeah. <laughs> we will go out and find it. So is this, uh, um, is this something that is localized to Nevada and Portland, or is that just where two hubs are and this is broader than that? Right. This is, it is a national organization and even uh, we have some clients up in Canada as well. Okay. The two main chapters, like the actual brick and mortar chapters with paid staff are in Portland and Nevada. Gotcha. Um, but we have other outcroppings of our work in Denver, 
in New York, um, in other cities across the U.S. But yeah, it's the the headquarters is in Las Vegas, Nevada, and then okay. we have the other main chapter here in Portland. Yeah. So, what is your role specifically there? Yeah. So I oversee operations. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Green job. Uh, yeah, Exactly. I'm the director of operations for the Cupcake Girls National. So my position is national. I'm overseeing all the operations for the organization as a whole. Wow. Yeah. That just sounds like a party. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, for a six wing five, totally. Right, right. No, seriously. Like, yeah, no, I'm so, I'm so there with you. Um, so I, I know that you have a lot of things that you are passionate about and landing in this particular job, knowing you, this just sounds like you know, that, that ability to, uh, to work out that, that justice piece of yourself, you know, that, that need to, uh, desire, I should, I don't know if it's a need for you. It is for me, but, um, that desire to see, um, um, equalities and justice in, uh, available to everyone. Um, on a personal level, what are some of those things that you, that, that you are passionate about. Um, you know, obviously you get to play, you get to, you know, nurture this in this job and really allow that to, um, to fuel, you know, enjoying operations. (laughs) You get to do that for something that, that just has such, um, great, uh, give and need in communities. Um, what are some of those other things that you're, uh, that make Brie who she is? Absolutely. So, I would say that I think I've realized my purpose in life (laughs) Mm -hmm. is to be part of the gender equity movement. Mm. So um, resisting gender oppression in all of its forms and creating a more equitable society for people who experience gender oppression and gender-based oppression. Um, And that can manifest in many different ways, but I think what I've also realized is that we all have different gifts. And so what looks like the movement may look different for someone, um, for someone else. And then what it looks like for me is building operations and creating systems and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I really, really care about bringing us back to a place where the feminine is valued and Mm -hmm. is central and is um, a guiding principle of our society. I think that a lot has been lost with this capitalistic, patriarchal, masculine society that we've built. And I think that we're feeling a lot of that um, pain now and that it just fails. It fails a lot of people. Yeah. I also, though, think that it's really important that we remember intersectionality in the feminine. So, um, and that's the the multiple forms of oppression that people face for all the different ways that dominant culture has been set up to really just support white men, rich white men. Yeah. So um, if someone is queer and black and differently abled, those are three different intersections of oppression and elevating those voices and lifting up those voices will 
create change for all of us. Mm -hmm. That's really, I think, where transformation comes, um, centering the most impacted and um, just listening, finally just listening (laughs) and taking action around the solutions that people have been talking about for ages. Um, And I think that's where my journey is at now. Mm -hmm. I just... I'm listening and I'm taking action. So I think that learning is super important and we are, none of us are ever done learning. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also really, really important to take action. And that's where this job at the cupcake girls has come into play for me. Mm. And um, where I have made a personal commitment to be on the side of social justice Mm. and gender justice in my work and in my life, um, moving the needle as much as I can in my lifetime. I know a lot of the conversations Casey and I have um, lately, some of which we record, some we don't, (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) they are, um, they're usually fairly uh, social justice oriented lately. And I think it's Mm -hmm. possible, you know, primarily because we have a lot of these social justice issues that have really come to the surface and uh, caused a a very broad conversation. Um, rather than little murmurs of it that we've had in the past where you might hear about it if it seems to be affecting a certain community or something. And um, I know one of the things that we've discussed is how much, how much learning we have to do in this area because so much of our mindset is developed from the time we're very young in understanding what roles are, understanding um, how we interact with um, marginalized communities um, how we are part of uh, systems of oppression um, and also how we can be part of the solutions to those. And um, we have been, we had always thought that we were quite open-minded until mm-hmm. recently when we really start to just really dig into it. And it has amazed us how, how many layers of uh, we have to pull off of ourselves to keep learning, to keep um, seeing what needs to be seen, to keep listening to voices that need to be heard. Um, I think for me in the past probably three or four years, um, this this realization of a patriarchal uh, community uh, in the US um, has really become prevalent. I didn't realize how much I even allowed my own wants, desires, longings, dreams, all of those things to just kind of settle behind the scenes. And rather than really identify those gifts, those things that I bring to the table that can contribute, not just for myself, but really do contribute to my community. Like you were saying, this part of your contribution is through something you actually really love is systems Mm -hmm. and operations and, and seeing that, that this thing that is a gift in me actually makes real world change. It makes real impact with people. Um, I know we come from two different generations, but at the same time, um, well, I shouldn't say at the same time, my, the way the community that I was raised in the era that I was raised in, um, was still, I think, starting fighting for that female place in the community. Um, and what is what does that look like? How do we how do we interact with the the gifts and talents and contributions that women make to a community? Um, it was very 
I've seen it from, you know, when I was raising my kids, um, staying at home with your kids was a really um, maybe popular or maybe ex- uh, expected um, role, which is not necessarily the case now. Um, there's a lot of room for both to exist um, and to be um, done at, uh, I don't know, I guess it was this idea that if you didn't stay home with your kids, you didn't raise your kids well. And um, and um, really seeing that women are a lot more than that, than um, that they can, they can do both and they can do all and they can um, contribute greatly to their own families as well as to their communities at the same time. I think that's been one thing that's been beautiful for me to watch with you um, because that is what you're doing. You're you're doing all of those things. You're, you're satisfying the dream in yourself and raising a beautiful family at the same time. And, um, and I, I really admire it. Um, and at the same time, uh, I feel like, I don't want to say it wasn't an option for me. Um, I really enjoyed being home with my kids, um, and not working when they were little, but at the same time, I think I never really asked myself, well, what, what is it that you would enjoy doing? What is it that you are good at? You know, I just, mm-hmm. I just did that thing. Um, and I think now at 46 years old, I'm just now starting to ask those questions. What would yeah. I do? What do I contribute to my community? Um, the fact that you're so dialed into that with yourself is um, really, um, it, I, it's, it's inspiring. Um is that, is that how you've always been or is this something that, you know, there was something that sparked in you that decided those things for you, like, you know, where you had that conviction about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say that it has been a long journey of self-discovery. Um, I've always been pretty curious about, I'm just, I guess I would just say I'm a lifelong learner. Mm. I I love learning new things and being open to new opportunities and um, kind of expanding my horizons and all things, but definitely really within the last four years, have I really turned that in, in to myself, like inside Mm. um, and gotten really, really curious about what makes me tick and what makes me. That's the Enneagram. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's where it started. Absolutely. I also, around that time, almost, just to be completely honest, I almost left my faith. Mm. It felt really dry and pointless and um, irrelevant to me at that time. It felt like something that I had to do because it was just, I guess, part of my family's, like with with Jeremy, it was part mm-hmm. of our tradition. Right. It was part of my community. Like it was kind of just like, this is something that I'm showing up for because I feel obligated to, not because I'm getting a lot out of it. Right. And like Jeremy's happening me for a couple years, actually, he kept trying to get me to read books and (laughs) do things that would kind of help me like plant the soil again, or I guess churn the soil. And I just wasn't interested, but finally, I don't know what it was, but something just finally motivated me to start a contemplative practice of my own where 
nothing at all was expected of me. I chose um, a mindfulness practice practice called centering prayer. And it's where you really just show up and you're silent and you try to think of nothing and just leave space for God or the universal presence or whatever you want to call divine energy um, Mm -hmm. to interact with you. And I think that as, again, as an Enneagram 6, that's Five. a typical always thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I, I just the description of that, there's a part of me that like an anxiety like raises up because yeah. I go, oh, I can't shut this off. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I can imagine um, in one sense, the discipline and choice that it took to participate in. Yes. Um, it was not easy and it still isn't. I've been at it now for three years. I was just looking at my journal actually and realizing like, wow, I started this three years ago. Um, and still when I get up and I show up in the morning, 15 of the 20 minutes that I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about life (laughs) and planning for the next thing and like stressing about one thing or another, but those five minutes, (laughs) maybe two minutes or whatever. Yeah, that is has the most sustaining life force in it than anything I've ever found in traditional church experience Mm -hmm. or um, in like the experience of religion that I've had. So Mm -hmm. and that has been my fuel to continue looking inward and continue this path of internal transformation for um to, the, to be transformed, to then go out and transform the world in the way that I want the world to be transformed. <laughs> okay, so let's let's ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> in what way do you want the world transformed? What does that look like to Brie? Yeah, well, it's probably similar to what most people want. It's equity for everyone. It's access to opportunity. It's... Um, Resources being distributed fairly and equally. It's community. It's really getting back into community-based mm-hmm. living and connecting with each other um, and leaning on each other. This individualistic society that we have created um, in America, especially, is not working. Especially right now, in a time when we need to be a community more than any other time, yeah. we have chosen that individuality and individual rights, um, uh, you know, are more important than uh, how this affects my neighbor. And this idea of what Casey and I are, are a lot of our conversation is, is I think we don't actually know how yeah. to live as a community. Um, and that makes, you know, leaning on each other and being leaned on a very difficult thing. Um, then it, then it goes, it goes beyond there. It makes it difficult to create the systems because people fight the systems, people fight the, mm. you know, the uh, planned resources or things like that, that could actually be very beneficial for a community. Um, what, uh, what has been, um, what has been probably the, the personal transformation for you? You said this contemplative um, prayer. Um, 
what in that as the as the resource that transformed you what was it that you felt was transformed was it how you viewed yourself or was it how you viewed your place in community what was it that just kind of the the switch that got flipped for you all of the above Um, but I think most importantly for me it is it's about reconnecting with the source of divine love that is um, that is the feminine, that is the nurturing, that is the non no agenda transformational love. And it's it's real. I can personally attest to it. Connecting with that source transforms everything, transforms the way that you show up in your relationships, transforms the way that you think about your own failings. Um, and like none of this at all is to say that I'm like, that I've got it down or anything. <laughs> like I am far, far from perfect, but I can hold a lot more space for myself for that. Like I, I can be more understanding of my own shortcomings and my own failings and my own like weird quirks and antics that make me a difficult person to be around sometimes (laughs) and just kind of observe it from a little bit back and say Mm. it's okay you're still loved you're still deeply deeply loved and nothing is ever going to change that I think that as much as we can try to have that no agenda, like truly transformational love for other people in our lives, like the only thing that I've really ever gotten close to is with my child, Mm. which is, I love Jeremy. I love him so much. And he would say the same thing, but like, it is just different with your child. Yeah there is just this like blanket of understanding. And that's how I feel about accessing this divine source of love. It's like, there's just, there's just a blanket of understanding. There just is space for me to be messed up and to show up bad and (laughs) to say I'm sorry and have it start all over. For me, until I started exploring things like the Enneagram um, or doing more self-awareness work, um, being given permission to celebrate the quirks, to celebrate the things that make me, um, for somebody not like me, make me difficult for another person, but actually being able to not own that as a negative or as a true difficulty, but actually own it as part of who I am and that channeled in the right places. And in the more I understand it about myself, the better I can contribute it to people around me in a way that isn't so (laughs) 
negative of an experience. <laughs> um, uh, then, but that's that understanding myself and celebrating the quirks, celebrating, um, you know, you talked about it like a, a blanket over uh, all of our shortcomings. Um, and I think, I think that's, uh, it just, it, I almost picture you almost like mothering yourself. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're taking on that role of saying, you know, what you feel towards your daughter and taking that on with yourself at the same time, um, is a very tender space to be in with yourself. Um, but that, that self-awareness, self-understanding, I think is a, is a huge shift when we come into that space of, um, yeah, I don't, I don't look at the, when I first, when somebody, when I first started listening to the Enneagram, um, information and kind of researching it and I was getting really frustrated that everything I was connecting with was the six yeah. <laughs> because I was like, I am not a fearful person. I'm not afraid of everything. I, you know, like I was like revolting around some yeah. of the ideas around it. And, um, but one of the things that I started to understand was that what comes out looking like fear to someone else is actually a really strong resource within myself mm-hmm. that my community needs in me. Um, mm-hmm. But to other types of people, it does look like fear. It does look like some of these things that, um, that I actually look at and say, no, that's actually quite a bit of courage. That's actually mm-hmm. quite a bit of bravery. Um, yeah. And um, you really do want me on your side. Like I, I can really um, be that support that you need. Um, and uh, I think understanding that about myself was a huge amount of grace for myself instead of like, you know, I don't know, I guess internally putting yourself down for being this kind of person, I started to embrace it and started to see that all the beautiful things that, um, that a six has to contribute to the world and owning it. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Like, I think that's so true. What one person might think like, oh, you're just stressing about things that are not going to happen. Or you're like, you're future tripping or whatever. It's like, Hey, you're going to be glad that we had this planned out. (laughs) You're going to be glad I packed the trunk the way I did because you're going to need five of those things on any given day. So yes, Yes, it's so true. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think the other really important part of that whole, like, journey of self-acceptance of like the less quote-unquote desirable parts of yourself Mm -hmm. is also just being able then to extend that to other human beings absolutely if you don't accept those things in yourself it's Mm. the chances are pretty slim that you're going to accept those in other people right and everybody has shortcomings and it's part of being human and it's beautiful and if we can just see beyond that and into the humanity, it's, it is transformational. It changes everything. Well, and then you you truly do allow the other person to have a moment of humanity. 
you know, and, and in that, um, you know, when we have that strict judgment of ourselves or of other people, it just, it just translates to us dehumanizing ourselves and other people. We just can, we start to remove more and more from that, that whole community mindset of being there for each other and, um, and just, uh, looking at each other as, uh, as a big ball of strengths rather than all of these, you know, edges we don't want to uh, engage with. I say that after, yeah, I had at work today, I just had, I had a woman call and just chew me out on the phone. (laughs) And I just, and sometimes I just go, wow, you know, like I have, I have to know that there's something behind it, you know, that there's some, some other pain, some other something going on. But, um, but I have to, I have to stop myself and remember that I do like humans <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah. that, that, you know, I wish I could have been face to face. I wish I could have been, you know, um, able to engage the whole picture rather than just over the phone. But, um, yeah, that was a total tangent, but, um, no, yeah, but that's like so real, especially for right now. Like all we're yeah. getting is are these little snippets of people's lives over the phone and over social media and who whatever other way that we're somehow interacting with each other. Yeah. But it's just a, a, a lot is being lost. And I've been thinking a lot about how COVID-19 is going to change society as we know it for the long term. What do you just, what do you feel? What do you think? about that well I can I'll just say like as kind of a funny example I already when I watch shows or a movie or whatever and people are standing too close Mm -hmm. to each other without their masks I'm like what are you doing (laughs) I want to go where's your mask wait you guys are too many of you in one room yeah yes there are more than 10 of you you are not six (laughs) feet apart I'm like, the germs you are spreading right now. (laughs) Yes. So I just think about like the impact that that conditioning is going to have on us long term. Like, when are we going to be comfortable hugging each other again? Yeah. When are we going to be comfortable talking to each other just a couple feet apart without masks on? And like, is it going to be up to us? That's the other thing I've been thinking about. Is it going to be up to each of us to decide when we're comfortable with that? Because we are not getting a lot of direction from <laughs> the powers that are supposed to be directing us in a moment like this right. around what is safe for our communities and, and what is safe for us. And yeah. yeah, just the fact that this whole a medical crisis has become politicized is also just very, very frustrating. Yeah. No, I, I know because... You, I, I'm one of those people who loves end of the world movies. Yeah. Um, totally. And um, my family kind of laughs at me for it because we all know what the ending is going to be. You know, we all know who's going to be the one that lives. You know, I'm like, you, you know all this from the beginning, but there's something about the whole process of the movie that I really engage in. And um, in all of those pandemic type movies or end of the world cases, they're always portrayed as, you know, there's a few people who aren't getting along, but people come together and, you know, you get through this, you use, you know, this togetherness to get through something. And 
and you focus on the tragedy that it is. And I never imagined that we would actually, one, I would actually live in a pandemic and two, that it would, um, it, it would be so divisive um, in our communities and it would be so political. Like you can draw down the middle of your town, like what, what your political affiliation is by whether you do or don't abide to social distancing or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's that blatant. And, um, and I find it then really hard to understand what it is to be community when it's so polarizing like that, Mm -hmm. you know, like the, the old, the old ways we did community, you gather people together, you join them in on something that they can connect on together, uh, a project or an event or, you know, a, a cause or all kinds of different things. And we're, we really have to think uh, different, differently about um, how we do community, which may actually take us to a more authentic need of meeting that need of community. Maybe we actually have to uh, pay attention to something deeper than an event or a gathering of people. We yeah. have to go to another place, but I do find it quite, uh, uh, it, well, it's that, that low level anxiety that we all kind of hold with this. Like we don't quite know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. No clear end in sight. No. Yeah. Yeah. It is well, very disconcerting for sure. But I, actually something you just said made me think in a different way about it. I wonder if what we'll end up doing is being super intentional about who our pod is and who we choose to have in our circle of like, of safety, I guess, Mm -hmm. of of community. Because I can say right now, like it's not just gonna be the three of us until COVID-19 is done, like, we, no, <laughs> can't, can't no. do it, no. so just being really, really, yeah, really, really intentional about who our community is, yeah. and those people are, become part of our pod, of our COVID-19 mm-hmm. pod, and even though we're not out, able to be out at the big concert, or the big mm-hmm. gathering, or the big event, or whatever, um, we still have our community. We still feel yeah. connected. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. We're, you know, I'm, I'm back at work, but you know, Casey and our oldest daughter, Sydney and um, my grandson, Asher are still here at home. Yeah. Um, my other daughter's working from home as well. And, um, and so, you know, I get home and I'm ready to kind of like download from the day. It's pretty stressful managing people in and out of an office with, are you wearing a mask? Are you not wearing a mask? Are you, you know, have you answered all the questions on the list? Like, I feel like a bit of a hallway monitor, you know, like I I have to make sure everybody's doing the thing. And so I get home and I'm like, oh, the mask comes off and I get to like, just chill out and be home. And they're ready to just like, let me out of this place. Like I want to see people. And um, so we we're actually having two kind of very different experiences. My stress level comes from being out there in it. Their stress right. level is coming from being stuck inside and um, realizing that those are two uh, equally stressful 
um, experiences in this time. Um, by the end of the eight weeks that I was home, yeah, I, I needed to go back to work. Yeah. I needed to go back yeah. to work. And I thought, I'm gonna love this. I'm gonna love being, you know, in quarantine. And in a lot of ways I am. I'm I'm really okay kind of hermiting to myself for periods of time, but or you know, in my home. Mm-hmm. But there is a point where you start to realize how um less colorful life is when other people aren't directly involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And we've started to realize how how Asher has only lived in a quarantine. Oh my gosh! Wow, that's so yeah. True. So when you wow. were saying saying yeah. like, what is that going to mean for us as we learn this new way of life, like watching a movie and going, wait, you guys are all too close to each other. You know, there's there's an experience for a lot of kids in this world that are uh, that are only going to understand social interaction at six feet. Um, yeah at least for a long period of time. So there's going to be, when this is over, there's going to be another adjustment pay, you know, phase where we have to get used to actually joining each other's space again. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's just, it's just a ride we're all in for. It's true. It's yes. Yes. I think about that with Esther as to what, what the long-term impacts are going to be mm-hmm. <laughs> around um, social isolation Mm-hmm. And she is back at daycare three days a week. Okay. Her class has four kids in it. So she is getting some, which oh, awesome. I, it helps my mama heart. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, right. okay. She's getting a little bit of that peer to peer interaction. And it's with a very um, like secure group of kids. They're very diligent about cleaning and all that stuff, but still like, I think about the other adults in her life and just strangers in general. Is this going to have lasting impacts on her around her comfort around Mm -hmm. people she doesn't know and um, people she hasn't seen in a long time? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So I had a question that kind of popped in my head a little while ago when you were talking about these new practices that you've brought into your life. Um, that have taken you to new self-awareness places and um, understandings of yourself. Um, How, if at all, does that affect how you want to raise Esther? Is that different than what, you know, I know we all say we do something different than how we were raised. I mean, that's just, that's just growth. It's just evolution of, you know, growing as a community too and thought and, and practice. But um, but sometimes there's those those little takeaways that are just really big. I, I have them with my daughters. It's a lot of they're already you know adults, but I look back and go, "Wow, if I could empower you in this, this, and this, if I could give you permission in these areas, which I try to do now, but um, but they're definitely different than the ways that I was raised." Um, are there things that you're you're really intentional about in your thought of raising Esther? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I think that I really want Esther to understand her belovedness mm. and have that never, ever, ever be in question mm. and um, help her to accept every part of her um yeah and I I think that one thing that's really 
really important to me is that, so for right now, she's a very, very strong-willed two-year-old. <laughs> And, I, I um, don't. I, I, that surprises me coming from you and Jeremy. I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, we're two of the most stubborn people you'll ever meet. <laughs> She's got that double compounded. But the thing that I've been thinking about just constantly is the world needs strong-willed women yeah. who are unapologetic about that and who will use their voice and stand up for what they believe in. And I want to nurture that in mm. her, but I, I wouldn't even say that that, I wouldn't say that that's not something that my parents did for me. I was always, I was never unsure of my, like, being loved in my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, I wouldn't say that there was like an intentionality around that. <laughs> I don't right. think my parents ever sat down and they were like, hey, let's raise empowered women. They, right. they, they just kind of, they did the best they could. And mm-hmm. I would say that me and both my sisters are empowered women, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Oh, um, I would so, I would so agree with you in that, knowing your sisters and, um, and your mom is very yeah. much that way too. And I think there is a big difference, uh, between, um, not discouraging um, empowerment as a woman and intentionally nurturing it. And, um, because it's not just you as a family that gets to decide what that looks like, you know, as a society, we're evolving in that too. Mm -hmm. And so when, when you were a little girl, there were a lot of voices that were saying that, you know, that isn't something women get to do or get to talk about or get to, participate in or a role that they get to play or, you know, there's, there's those things that are just societal. And I think that's one of the things that we're really getting faced with right now. Um, socially is really calling those things out and saying, you know, we're not going to play by those rules anymore. Um, and, uh, so I, I love the way that you put that, that it wasn't that they discouraged it. It's just that now you have a choice to be incredibly intentional about it and to foster and nurture it and say, this isn't just something, oh, I have a strong-willed child. It's, wow, I see the beauty in what this can be and where this can take you. And let's, let's go there. Let's do that thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful, Brie. Thank you. And believe me, it is. It's not always easy. <laughs> Sometimes I just want her to do the thing that I want her to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that line around like, <clears throat> okay, I know you want to climb up on the counter, but that's literally dangerous. You can't do that. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, the line between that and empowering her in being in charge of her own like decision making. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also sometimes like bearing the consequences right. of those things. That's how you learn. Yeah. But yeah, just kind of navigating that day to day as a parent, it can be very challenging. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I, I would also say that like Jeremy and I are on the same page with this too, but our parenting styles are different <laughs> when mm-hmm. it comes, when it comes to those pain points or the, yeah. the growth edges around parenting our styles can 
can look different. Oh yeah. 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 If if I know two people that have ever been completely aligned in that, that would be amazing. Cause I, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it's, you know, for me raising daughters, it's been, it's been good for me to have um, a dad who I know absolutely loves and adores his daughters um, bring a different, a different viewpoint, a different vantage point to parenting. And even when we don't agree on something to be able to really consider that, you know, Hey, there is a side to this that, you know, I'm not seeing and growing me in the process. But I have to say that there are girls, um, we've had, we've had, um, you know, lots of conversation around (laughs) poor Casey, you know, living with all these you know, women all this time. And (laughs) Ah, he's fine. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) That was, yeah, I think that's why he likes to go visit Jeremy. Um, (laughs) But uh, he, you know, he has been so open to trying to understand and to learn what it means to be female in this world. And Mm -hmm. I think in the last couple of years, he's, uh, because he's been intentional about that, been very surprised by some of the things that we just naturally deal with in a day-to-day life and been very, um, um, just very supportive of our adult daughters. Um, but I have to say that as difficult as it was to raise strong-willed daughters, um, I am loving strong-willed adult women. Mm, And it's, um, it can take them down the the hardest paths and you just want to like, you know, knock on their noggins and say, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also the thing that finds them through it. You know, that, that desire to, um, to be true to themselves. And I think, I think my daughters have been more true to themselves over the years than even I was. I'm not sure how that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere in there, my have done something right, but, um, <laughs> But it, it is a it is a beautiful thing that they have they do have so much choice um, in this in this world now, um, and they have so much opportunity to completely flourish as as women. My grandmother used to say, "Jess, we would, you know, Miss America was a big thing on TV oh, when yeah. I was a kid, yeah. and she used to say, you know, we would watch it and look at all the sparkly dresses and stuff, and." And she'd say, you know, if, if you wanted to do that, I know you'd win. And, um, and it wasn't like a pressure to, you need to go do this thing. That was never the feeling I got from her. It was the confidence that whatever you want to do, I know you can do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm short, I'm like five, one, there's no way I could ever win Miss America. <laughs> these, <laughs> these legs would not do it. So I ha- always had this realistic oh thing, gosh. like, it was kind of this knowing that I didn't have that body type that was signature of a Miss America pageant, right? But yet she had this confidence yeah. in me that whatever you want, you can do. And that was incredibly empowering that uh, she didn't have any limits on me. Why should I, right? Um, mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was, definitely. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a good thing. I, I definitely never wanted to be Miss America. <laughs> Or I can't imagine why. No. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But But that's also like you, you just said, like, 
society has a certain idea of what Miss America would look right. And that's where the work, that's where, yeah. But that's where the work of each of us goes in. We empower our children and our daughters, especially to not limit themselves. And then we work towards a society that isn't going Going to limit them. Right. Because society is still, dominant culture is real. Patriarchy is real. Yeah. And there are systems set up to deny certain people access to things that other people have a very easy time accessing. Yeah. And so it's up to, at least how I feel personally, it's up to me to pave the way for Esther, to do the most that I can to tell her, show her, model to her that she can have what she wants and that in transforming society so that that actually can happen. Mm. And I know you've always been somebody who, I've only known you as someone who is continually learning, continually continually reading, um, challenging your own thought. Um, and that's, um, I think that's a, it's a powerful thing to continually be in that space where you're ready to grow and change um, at any given time. Do you, I do remember something that you did that has uh, been impressed on me. Uh, it must've been even a couple years ago now where you spent a whole year only reading books. Um, I, I think it was only women of color, women of color. Right. Um, and that was before all of this conversation was getting really loud, um, about us learning, um, um, uh, more of the, the story, the understanding, the literature, the art, the everything that, um, is in the uh, women of color communities. And, and that's a very broad group. Um, but what was a big takeaway for you in that year of that reading? Mm, yeah. Probably the biggest takeaway is just realizing how important it is to hear from people who have a completely different experience of the world and of society and of life than you do. Mm. It challenged me in incredible ways. It broadened my understanding of humanity. (laughs) Um, And plus it was just, it was just kind of a cool thing my only criteria was that the book would be, was written by a woman of color. So I would go into Powell's and just start browsing the stacks and looking for books that were written by women of color. And um, I, a couple times I just came upon books that I had no pre-knowledge of and I bought it and I read it and it ended up being one of my favorite books from that year. Mm. Um, yeah. One of the top ones actually was a book called Salt Houses by um, Hala Alian. She's a, a Middle Eastern woman and um, it was just a beautiful multi-generational story of a, an immigrant family in America from the Middle mm. East. Um, I have a couple more recommendations from that year if you're interested, <laughs> but honestly, yeah. like it was just... a a really important exercise that I went through that I would recommend to anyone. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've been uh, 
looking for and following Instagram accounts of um, art by women of color. And yeah. I have found that to be um, very enlightening, enlightening to understand more of both the joy and the suffering um, that exists because it's usually a lot of what's portrayed in art. And, um, and just, uh, I think it's an opportunity to view life outside of my own perspective and to see it from somebody else's. I imagine I'm, I have a really hard time reading, making space for myself to read. So I listen to a lot of books on audio, but, um, but I, uh, I have been inspired by that challenge and not just to learn, like we have a stack of books right now that we have been recommended regarding um, race in America or race in or racism in America or race in racism in general. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I think just diving into the novels, the poetry, yeah. the, you know, the enjoyment yeah. of, um, of writing and thought um, from someone's other perspective of life than just my own. I have had so much fun talking to you today. Yeah. And um, I know that you and I could, we, we do when we all get together mm-hmm. we just sit and we just talk and over our cocktails usually so yep <laughs> um, um but uh yeah I would I would love to be able to just continue to follow your journey in this new job this new endeavor and to um I'm personally just in talking with you now more interested in understanding um what this is and what the services are and um is there a place where people can go where they can tap into to this, whether it's, hey, I have a business or a resource that can be um, useful and helpful, or maybe it's, I want to just understand this even at a deeper level than what we've talked about today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Cupcake Girls website, so the cupcakegirls.org is a great place to start. We're also really super active on social media, so we have a uh, Instagram account and a Facebook page. And um, I would definitely recommend following both of those tons of good content coming out every day. Um, We have a fantastic marketing coordinator and everyone kind of takes part in that work. So it's really good, really helpful, educational and empowering content um, around sex work and sex trafficking. Um, And then I also, want to just share in our last couple minutes that I Uh actually just started my own website (gasps) (laughs) and my own business yeah Mm -hmm. it's like it's called yeah it's called nonprofit building blocks um and I am I feel at, at this point I have enough experience and enough knowledge around the foundational building blocks of creating a really solid nonprofit that I am ready to go out into the world and help people create that solid foundation so that they can set it and forget it and then really focus on their mission. That's awesome. That is amazing work. And so that website is live now, right? The website is pending approval and I'm going to get a postcard in the mail. (laughs) So I have to register the domain um, (laughs) once I get the postcard in the mail. But I have it linked. I have it on my LinkedIn. So I think you can get to sort of some version okay. of the website right now through LinkedIn. Um, but it will be live in the next couple of days. 
Oh, well, by the time we air this, it should be live. So I'll make sure that we have that info in oh, the um, show notes too. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that out there for everybody. So no, I think that's a much needed resource. Having started a nonprofit in uh, McCall, I, I would have loved that resource of um, that support. Um, everybody has a different idea of how that should happen. And it's usually, um, uh, you know, all kinds of different messes of boards and different things. I mean, like there's just so much yeah. to it. So, um, so I just, yeah, there's a lot. Of, yeah. 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 <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. It can be really confusing, but just getting those foundational pieces, like the bylaws and yeah. the chart of accounts and the, <laughs> yep. the financial policies and procedures, just getting those set. They don't ever have to change again, but you know, they're there and you can rely on them as pieces to guide your yeah. work moving forward. Absolutely. Oh, I think that's awesome. Oh, I can't wait to support you in this. This is going to be exciting. I'm really <laughs> glad you're you. here. So. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to sign off awesome. for now. And, um, but I, I want to catch up again at another time. So maybe we'll have an episode two with you where we can uh, yeah. get, uh, yeah, once you get all of this off the ground and then we can get an update on um, Cupcake Girls too. So. Awesome. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so being, much, Jess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you for doing this awesome podcast. I'm really honored to have been asked to be part of it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I feel so honored to be able to uh, hear stories of amazing women. And you were at the top of my list when I first thought uh, that I wanted to do this. Um, because I think um, my heart is that there are many of us out there who are not famous. We're not pseudo famous. Yeah. We, we don't have our, a, a platform necessarily where we are sharing our stories from, but we have powerful stories and yeah. we have amazing things that we are doing in our communities. And I think those things need to be talked about and they need to be heard. So, um, so yeah, you were kind of up there on my list. Aw, so. thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, yeah. Thank you for listening and may you keep connecting all the beautiful parts of you.